Welcome to our assembly of the evening. Uh, I'm very glad you're here. And as Brother Franklin said, we're continuing our study in Romans 1, following up on a lesson that Monty did last week. And uh, a few thoughts I want to touch on there. We'll do a brief little summary in it before we dive into our text tonight. Last week, Monty opened this chapter for us, laid out a basis for the whole book. And as is the custom that, that Paul did, he would open with a, his greeting and introduce himself and talk about his apostleship. And we could get pretty deep into that. And I think we're pretty solid there at this point. Uh, but a couple of things he did say kind of struck a chord with me. And he very often had to make a case of his authority. He was a very authoritative figure. And we see that in, in this chapter as well. And that's pretty familiar with us. But we got a little bit of context from, from Paul and that he's kind of in his prime here. Now, Paul is a very passionate man both when he was known as Saul, the Jew that persecuted Christians and doing what he believed was right at the time and service to God. And after he finally encountered the Lord and got what you might consider a bit of an attitude adjustment. Uh, but that passion and vigor of Paul is found in pretty much everything he writes. And as we step out into this next half of, of this first chapter in Romans, certainly that's a characteristic that, that's going to pop out to us. In addition to mentioning Paul's disposition at, at the time of this writing, Monty also touched on Rome itself and kind of compared to uh, some of the famous big cities in our society today, New York, London, whatever. And having traveled uh, to the Middle East, Dubai is one of those places that you see some stuff that's kind of crazy. It's like, that's really, that's really wild. And I can see, and, I, and really you can see it everywhere, but you can see how mankind likes to worship mankind. Like we're really into that. That's a that's a thing people do. We marvel at our accomplishments. We're really pretty proud of ourselves. Now, comparing Dubai to the rest of the world, well, it, it stands out. Comparing Rome to the rest of the world at this time is kind of the same thing, but to a significantly higher degree. So as we think about the people of Rome, who Paul's specifically addressing here, remember in verse 7, it's, he's, he's addressing all that are in Rome. The gospel called inhabitants of Rome, heathens, Jews, Christians, everybody there, and of course it applies to us. <clears throat> so I just want to finish that brief recap looking at verses 16 and 17. Paul writes here, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. It's been one of the many mottos of Christians for, for ages that they say, I am not ashamed. And it's a little bit more interesting here simply because he's writing to the people of Rome. And I find that pretty applicable to what's going on in our lives today. I, I see the situation in Rome a lot like modern society. Without a doubt, there's a mob mentality thing going on. And we think about these, the causes that these people today are passionately pushing. I mean, so many things that, that they're just they're just crazy over. They're just passionate for it. And, and, and some of these things are personally, they're horrifying to me. And I'm not going to get into those things, but I think we all know kind of it's, it's been pretty weird lately. Well, that's the mindset that I'm talking about. So these people are screaming and shouting down these opposing views. And instead of listening and discussing, they might resort to violence. And, and why is that? They've assimilated themselves. They've kind of attached themselves with whatever mob is carrying that torch, whatever thing they're into, that this mob is, is onto that. And they, and they get in there, and the key is they commit. They, they commit to this cause for whatever reason to the point that they can't be convinced otherwise. Well, in a way, that was Rome. 
They were arrogant. They were more sophisticated than the rest of the world, so they thought. They were very self-righteous, and who could possibly stand to correct the Romans? Some guy that's preaching the message of a Galilean who was executed as a criminal? Yeah. Paul was not ashamed to take on that work. A lot of the world we live in, to me, resembles the Roman Empire. Be not ashamed in the face of the most extravagant, in-your-face, shameless, self-pleasure, self-worship of the world, just like Paul was. And we're going to see that in, in the writing to the Romans. Uh, briefly to touch on the words that the just shall live by faith that's written here. It's misused a lot, as we all know. The only place that faith alone is actually found in the New Testament is James 2 and 24, which says a man is justified by works and not faith, not faith alone. Um, and I didn't pour through to find that. I trust the source, but don't take my word for it. Research that if you care to. Paul is talking about a process here, begun and continued by their faith. Um, you know, to me, it's simple. If you claim that you have faith, then you say, okay, yeah. So you believe in, in God. You believe in Jesus. You believe that Jesus is the way. Yep, have faith. You can't believe in Jesus and have faith in Jesus if you don't believe what he says. And he says you have to act on that faith. You have to believe. You have to be baptized. You have to repent. Uh, Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. There's so many things that we have to do. So the faith alone thing is just touched on here. Anyway, I rest my case. We move on to tonight's text. Now, First of all, I know that this is kind of small, maybe a little bit hard to see. I'll give you a minute to get out, to open up the word if you want to follow along. Uh, reading out of the New King James Version. But these verses, they, they kind of need to be read together as like a one forceful statement. So I've got them all piled up here, and we're going to pick it apart. So Paul transitions from his greeting, his profession of his mission in Rome, for which he's not ashamed. Uh, he transitions from saying that we need to live by faith because of the righteousness of God is evident. He shifts here to calling out the unrighteous of Rome, but also mankind and all the world. So uh, starting with verse 18, Romans 1, Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. These unrighteous folks here are suppressing the truth. And it's in how they live, how they're living, that's contrary to the truth and the message of salvation. They're living against the truth. That's what they're doing to suppress it in their unrighteousness. Uh, Let's not overlook this word ungodliness here, because that's even worse. That means it's a disregard for God. One could be unrighteous and sin against his fellow man and then turn around and repent and feel bad about it and and fear God and be reverent. 
like King David, who acted very unrighteously and then who had extreme remorse for it and repentance. But the unrighteous and the ungodly is kind of a, a double whammy. And, and the way they live, it's as if there is no God and no accountability. And talk about drawing the wrath of God. Let's pretend he's not there and we're not going to acknowledge him. That's not going to pan out. Now, I don't know if we can even begin to understand how God feels about, about this other than to try to see it through human eyes and human emotion. But we do know that God hates sin, that God is perfect, and God is just. And we will be judged, and it will be perfect judgment. And the consequences are the wrath of God. Every single tiny little sin has got to be accounted for. It will be accounted for either by the blood of Christ or by eternal destruction and hell. That is the wrath brought down on sin. Now, to suppress this truth in in their unrighteousness means they're actively trying to bury it. They had the truth and they rejected it, suppressing it by living wickedly. And we look at verse 19, gives us some insight onto what truth they had or should have recognized is because we... Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now, I guess they didn't have the facts that the Jews had in in all of their history of study and and their traditions of living in the Word. And they probably didn't really get the revelations that that Christ brought. But God manifested it to them. Some who are critical of God or trying to deny Him on a basis of saying that God ignored the Gentiles... They're overlooking the genealogy of man from Adam. From Adam to Noah to Abraham, the word was kept alive. And even when idolatry was rampant, when, when this was happening, when this was going on, it didn't begin like that. It, it was an alternative to worshiping the one almighty God. It was a stray away from God, not some kind of early false religion in a time before they were enlightened. These were people choosing to leave him, to bow down to carved objects or what other ridiculousness they may come up with. It's really not that ridiculous when you think about people today who have complete access to the word in their pocket. But they worship whatever worldly pleasure they choose to devote to instead. That's the same thing. But all that aside, Paul's message here is the inspired word of God And that word clearly says that they were suppressing the truth that God has shown to them. They knew better. End of story. Now, me personally, I see the world around me as very obviously created by God. I find it utterly ridiculous to, to claim that it's an accident. That's to me, that's how God made himself evident to me, even if I had never heard the message. I might not know how to explain it, but it's, it's just so, so real to me, so obvious. Well, that's exactly what Paul says here in verse 20, where he says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power. <clears throat> if there is something made, which is precisely what everything is, something made, then there must be a maker. Hebrews 3 and 4 says, uh, For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. How this is so obvious then, but denied by people today, 
it makes me think even more the arrogance of Rome and the mob mentality and just the, the rejection on just, I'm just going to reject it. And it says, so that they are without excuse. It's because of all this that, it, that it's been made known to them, that they're suppressing it in their behavior, because of all this, that they really have no excuse for this denying of the truth and embracing wickedness. They can't claim ignorance. They know better. <clears throat> Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. They knew God and did not glorify him. Now, th I think this, this group of texts right here, these, these verses could be just said in that one phrase. They knew God and they didn't glorify him. That might not hit home if you didn't have Paul going in there and doing his thing. But Sunday, Ian drove this exact thing home to us very well. How we live is how we glorify him. Conversely, how we live can also be exactly how we don't glorify them, which is what he was doing, what they were doing. And paraphrasing that quote that Ian shared with us, that, that there's um, people that know God or claim to know God or, or claim they're Christians or whatever, and then they still act like that. Like, really? You are claiming to know God and you act like that? That's, that's nuts. That's crazy. It's either that they don't really know him or that they don't even care that they do know him. But there's no glory in that for God. And whatever glory anybody thinks that they have in, in living in defiance to God, it's, it's some kind of a sick joke, the worshiping of a carved puppy dog or whatever they're, whatever they're bowing down to. <clears throat> now, it says their foolish hearts were darkened. And honestly, I struggle with this a little bit because I, I can't determine through the reading that if something was changed with these people, if something happened to them and they changed or if this is um, a regular, to-be-expected effect of the willful disregard for his holiness, which that is a thing. In 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, Paul said, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. This is Paul choosing and committing to a behavior. It's a discipline and a determination. And I think that this is the exact same thing even when you're doing it in the opposite direction. You're aware of God and you know better, but you still choose the path of evil. You're committing to it. You're making a decision and committing to that life. You weigh the consequences and you still go for it. Paul understood the consequences of his life, his life of servitude to Christ. It was no... It was no easy walk he didn't he, there's no free lunch here Paul endured more than what most of us can even imagine and he chose to endure that committed to it because it's the right thing to do he knew what he had to do if you know God if you understand God at all and these people did they knew God it says here they know what happens when you turn from him and they committed to do it anyway they weighed the consequences and they did it You know what? It gets easier when you start doing that. I think we can all understand that. It's a, it's a progression. Little by little, it gets worse and worse. Easier to do, easier to stick to it. God gets further and further out of your mind till you can't even see him anymore, and you're not looking for him anyway. And I wonder how darkened are the hearts of the really, truly evil people in this world 
compared to when they started life. Born innocent. They change. That's a thing that happens. In verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. How foolish. I mean, it's, it's a mockery to me. This, this looks like just flat-out mockery. It's like saying God is such a nothing that this carved critter, piece of wood that looks like an animal, it's the same. It's the same as God. God's so nothing. This is the same. So let's worship this. This is even better. Let's worship this instead. That's mockery to me. That, that is that's insane. Ronald Reagan once said of the political opposition that it's not that they're dumb, it's just that they know so much that isn't so. And that's funny, but it's kind of sad too. And Rome here was the center of human achievement and power. They had reason to profess to be wise, but how foolish is this? To replace God with an image. Looks like a man or a bird or an animal or whatever. It's foolish. Now, verse 24, Paul writes, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped, the serve, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. God gave them up, as it says, is not, a, not really a passive thing there. It means to deliver. And in fact, Paul's kind of driving it home because he repeats it again coming up in verse 26 and then again coming up in verse 28. God handed them over to the consequences of their actions. Now, I don't want any of us to confuse this with God causing anyone to sin or to fall. When they have put God out of their minds and opened the door for Satan, God's just letting them lie in the bed that they've made by his justice, by his perfect justice. He hands the sinners over completely to their sins in order to let their sins run to excess and destroy the sinner. Why hand them over? Well, verse 25 right there answers that. Again, remember, they had known God and turned from him. They didn't start out with pagan worship and then grow into righteous Christian worship because the path of sin is a downward spiral. They started turning away from him, and they just kept digging themselves deeper and deeper. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And that's why. <clears throat> Verse 26 says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one, one for another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. It says, For this reason referring to them exchanging the truth for a lie and worshiping the creature rather than the creator. For that reason, he again emphasizes that God gave them up. All kinds of bad stuff going on here. Some explicit examples were given of sexual immorality. And I think for the sake of time, we'll not do a word study here. Uh, but Paul continues on with this laundry list of horribleness uh, in verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a debased mind. There it is again. Again, Paul says, God gave them over to a debased mind. And again, reiterating it, 
the why? It's because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. <clears throat> Take a deep breath here. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of all evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, and the cherry on the cake, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. I just like to read that all at once because it's just as powerful when you just say it real fast like that. Um, it's bad stuff. I mean, we, we could look at each individual one and study it. Most of it is, is pretty obvious. Whisperers, that's something that was like, well, why is that in there? And it's, it's talking about telling secrets and, and that could stir up trouble. And, you know, we could, we could go probably pretty deep in the consequences of that. But it is obvious this is just generally bad behavior and everything you can think of. And... They know such things are deserving of death, and they do it, and they approve of those others who are doing it. If that doesn't illustrate what sin can do, how it can darken the heart in this rapid progress into a worse and worse situation, then, then you've got to be willfully blind to it. If, if that doesn't ring home to you, you you've got to be ignoring it on purpose. Your thoughts and your heart have to be guarded. It's pretty amazing, I think, what, what people have learned about how the human brain works and emotions and chemicals and, you know, whatever's going on up there. But have we really scratched the surface of what makes us tick? Uh, I think we've got a pretty good grasp on the meat and bones or kind of the nuts and bolts of, of the creature that is man. But the soul is very mysterious. And if the inspired word is warning us of how we can deceive ourselves, how we can choose a path of destruction. And, you know, we probably ought to pay attention to it because God knows the mysteries of our soul and how our hearts and minds affect us. It's, it's just a, it's one of those things like you have, to, you have to be actively thinking about it and watching out for it. You know, it, this is something that happens often enough that it's, it's kind of funny to me. But apparently at times I look very thoughtful or maybe concerned. I, I'm really not sure exactly what it is, but it prompts a question of you know, what are you thinking about? And it catches me by surprise because uh, there for a minute I try to think about what I'm thinking about and then it dawns on me that it's nothing. I'm just in neutral. There's nothing going on. Clutch is slipping. And uh, I, I find that maybe it's weird. Maybe, maybe that happens to everybody. I don't know. But it's at least an interesting observation about my brain, and it tells me that I, I don't know how it works. And if that's true, then how am I going to protect myself from being handed over to a reprobate mind? Well, again, I think that the key in this text is that they knew God and that they turned away from him. They didn't lack retaining him in, in their knowledge. It's, those words specifically were used, that they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. <clears throat> it was a conscious decision. What that means is that we can never for a moment let anything entice us so much that we weigh it against the consequences and then still choose to disregard God in favor of the temptation. I mean, things, things happen. We get caught up in stuff. It happens. 
when you think about it, and you should think about everything. I mean, everything. You should think about it and use logic. You know, if somebody tells you something and it, and it sounds fishy, it probably is. You know, if you just got to think about everything. And the, that kind of boils down to that old thing that you may remember from when, you know, 20, 30 years ago. I don't know how long ago. What would Jesus do? Everybody wearing the bracelet? Man, that's got solid foundation. That's all you got to do is think about it and think about, well, what would Jesus do, you know? Is this right? Is this wrong? Am I turning towards God or away from God? It's not that complicated. I think that we just don't don't care enough sometimes to think about it. <clears throat> so we'll leave you with that. That closes the chapter. If you feel like you may be slipping down that path, even in, even in little baby steps of replacing things that are righteous in your mind, with things of the world, we want to reel you back in. We want to pray for you, help you with your personal fight, bear burden, whatever we can do with any, any spiritual need or if you haven't taken the leap yet and obeyed, we want to help you with that. And we'd ask that you'd come forward and stand as, as we sing the song selected.